show is sponsored by HiveMind CRM. It is more than just a CRM. It is a real estate and business mastermind that comes with an all-in-one CRM. You can have unlimited websites and users. You can call, text, RVM, and email all-in-one user interface. And you can set up custom automations for any type and multiple businesses. 65% of companies start using a CRM system within the first five years of business. Once implemented, the HiveMind will save you on marketing, give you more time, and make more money. One of our users had his first $100,000 month using our system in June. We want to see you automate and accelerate your business. Text us at 210-972-1842 for future meetings and of course to get our $1 course on how to make more than six figures on one land deal. You can schedule your free demo today at HiveMindCRM.io. All right, we're here with Vince out of New Zealand from across the ocean. Or is it, people call it across the lake? <laughs> across the pond if you're in Australia, yeah. Across the pond, there you go. Yeah. So uh, Vince out of New Zealand, that is a world's away. Quick story, I went to Fiji and I didn't realize how close I was to Sydney. I, I was kind of mad I didn't go. I, was, I, was yeah, I must admit, we had our honeymoon in Fiji. Um, but anywhere in Australia, New Zealand, Fiji, Tonga, all those kind of areas. We're relatively close. We're literally just a quick flight away from any of those beautiful, beautiful islands. So I was, I was kind of, I was in Fiji for two weeks and I'm like, man, I wish we'd like cut it a few days short, went to Sydney for a couple of days and called it a day. But that's a side note. Now, now that you said you're from New Zealand, so my, my line's working now. That was my first time out of the country and it was a great experience. And then we met a lot of uh, Australian and uh, New Zealand folk from out there as well on holiday, right? Well, we 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 had our we uh, we had our honeymoon in Fiji. We've been married for almost twenty seven years now. Um, so that was twenty seven years ago. Um, but two things happened. One, when we were in Fiji, we were like celebrities because the Fijians love the All Blacks. They love the New Zealand rugby team. So okay. any Kiwis, any New Zealanders that were over there, we were treated like royalty, which was amazing. But the wow. other thing that happened is we actually got kidnapped on our last day of our honeymoon. It was super scary super short and super exciting all at the same time because we, we did the unthinkable like um one of the fijian guys that was in our resort he would tell us all about his village and he took us down there horseback riding went to his village it was beautiful and everyone there's so friendly his dad was the chief of the village uh he went and got us mandarins by climbing up these trees like this giant fiji guy fijian guy i swear he was like nine foot tall but apparently he wasn't um, so so he got us all these mandarins and that and we thought, everybody's so friendly. I know we were told not to leave the resort, but we'll be pretty safe. And we were on our last day. So we thought, we'll just go for a quick wander down the road. So we walked down the road. Next thing you know, we found ourselves sitting on this bench with these like huge Fijian guys around us, um, telling us that we need to respect their need for kava, which is like an alcohol drink there, um, yeah, yeah. and that they want all our money. And we're going, dude, you picked the wrong people. We are broke. Like <laughs> that was our honeymoon. We had spent every cent like on our last day there. We were planning on leaving with no money. Um, and, and then it started getting really scary. I was looking at these guys going, man, like in a good situation, I could probably take one of them or at least cause some damage, but there's a half dozen of them there and every single one of them are going to hurt me badly. Uh, and then all of a sudden, one of them just turned around and said, go, time to go, go. And we're like, what? And he goes, just go, go, go and shuffled us off. And just as we were heading down to the, the exit area, we saw the van from the place that we were staying. And the Fijian guy there, he said he just had this hunch. He knew that something was wrong. He knew that we weren't where we should be. So he went looking for us and they saw his van coming. So they panicked and, and let us go. So 
Uh, so it was really scary for a short amount of time, but gave us the coolest honeymoon story ever. Like, honestly, we got to go back and say, we got kidnapped on our honeymoon. How many of you have done that? <laughs> that is crazy. I will have to tell my wife about that story because she'll probably not like it. <laughs> yeah, true. She's going, last time we go to Fiji. To be fair, Fiji is a beautiful place and it is it is safe. We just did what we were told not to do because, well, to be fair, I don't like being told not to do things. So that's probably why. You you went you went for an adventure and you had your adventure. <laughs> exactly. We got exactly what we asked for. So yeah. <laughs> no harm, no foul. No, that's, that's an amazing story. Yeah. I, I had a great time in Fiji and it was so I've been married six years, so it's been six years since I'm to Fiji. Awesome, so. man. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy, man. It's a small world when you when you when you start traveling it, you know? Yeah, definitely. So I the one thing I do regret is not going to Sydney. Maybe next time. <laughs> there you go. So I, I do I do have some Australian friends now that I do want to travel. So I think he's coming here this year and we might go there. I don't know. I might make a trip out of it. But we're excited about that. Um, yeah. off of that tangent. <laughs> <laughs> Every, everybody got the BG story this time out of two people from across the pond. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So tell us a little about yourself. Um you want to take your drink? Go ahead, man. I see, I see you. <laughs> For those listening, I was like, I just poured myself a whiskey and I thought, you know what? I just want a quick mouthful while it's talking. Then you quickly finish. I'm like, no. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. So uh, tell us a little bit how you came into entrepreneurship, um, yeah, a little bit about your past, how long you've been an entrepreneur, all that good stuff. Oh, wow. So many, so many aspects to that question there. So my entrance into entrepreneurship was um, what I call survival mode when I was 11. And I, I don't share this too much in, in podcasts and things, but I grew up in a really abusive household. Um, okay. I grew up in poverty and, uh, and it was just really unsafe environment. So one of the things I realized very early on is I need to fend for myself. Um, so at age 11 uh, or age 10, I got given, um, and this is going to really date me here, but I got given uh, these little Sinclair ZX81s. They were some of the first personal computers, very, very limited personal computers that came out. But what had happened was a company had imported them into New Zealand and they were faulty. So to them, it was a tax write-off. So they went, not a problem. We'll just throw these things out. I managed to get these things out of the bin. And suddenly I realized I can fix them um, because they had rubber membrane keypads. They're really, really terribly designed. So I realized if I take them apart and just kind of realign everything, then they'll start working. So of the three, I got two of them working. Um, and then I asked around at school and turns out some of my some of my schoolmates, their parents really, really wanted these. So I sold them to them for a, a good bit of money. And, and from that, I bought myself a Commodore 64, which is one of the greatest kind of personal computers to ever be made. I mean, it's so dated now, but it was just glorious in the day. Um, so then at age 11, I discovered something. I looked at all the software and all of the, the games that you needed on a Commodore 64 were all on cassette tape. And I was like, wait a minute, cassette tape's just like a ferrite-based thing. So therefore, you can copy this technically. So now, bear in mind, I had no moral compass. I had a very, I grew up in a really dodgy family. I grew up in a really horrible area surrounded by gangs and everything. So I didn't know right from wrong, but all I knew was I could probably make money from this. So I started this little pirate game ring, really, where I would hire these games and software from the local video store. Um, and then what I would do is I would take it into a, a department store that had tape decks with high-speed dubbing. I get my friend to kind of distract them. Well, I go in there with a whole pile of cassette tapes and quickly copy all these things and then sell them to all my friends for a profit. And 
And I managed to make a considerable amount of money from that. Like, uh, honestly, as an 11 year old, I was pretty self-sufficient after that. So that was my first kind of entrance into entrepreneurship. After that point, though, I will highlight every every company I've had from there has been ethical and be moral. And I have a moral compass now. So please don't judge me on that. Um, but then from there, I kind of went in and out of both uh, corporate world and entrepreneurship and, and even did a stint on radio here on one of our top radio stations as an announcer for a number of years, which to be fair, was my dream job. Uh, and, and when I got the job, I realized it really is my dream job. I'd wanted it since I was a little kid, uh, except for one aspect of it, which was the lack of pay. Like it's one of the worst paid jobs in the world. So, so I moved away from radio and got into marketing, which was kind of the convergence of my passion for technology with my passion for people and people's behavior. Um, so from there, I'd create and fail a lot of businesses early on. Then I go back into corporate with my tail between my legs. And then I create and get some success from a company. And I had just come off the back of my largest um, acquisition ever. So it was a company that we grew over three and a half years of extreme stress, extreme anxiety, wanting to kill my co-founders, then probably wanting to kill me as well. It was just a crazy, crazy journey. But it turned out to be really worthwhile in the end uh, because we exited with a multi-eight figure exit after only three and a half years. Uh, and when you're the majority shareholder, that's a pretty sweet position to be in. So I was very happy with that. Um, but then left there and joined the team at Signet Insurance and became the chief marketing officer there. Um, and that's what started a whole different kind of chapter of uh, my life, Daniel, where I, I had this job that on paper was, was brilliant. It was perfect. You know, like the pay was ludicrous. You never even, never, ever needed to look at your bank balance. Um, that was a crazy feeling. Um, and you were working on some incredibly awesome projects, like some really advanced AI projects, some really cool stuff in the marketing team that we were doing. Um, also, I was getting the results, um, took their online sales from nothing to, to just about half their revenue. It was insane. Um, so about pretty much double the revenue of a Fortune 100 company in five years, which is, which is nuts. Um, and, and got the recognition for that. Um, got to travel the world, speaking on stages, going to different signal markets, going to all these different places, teaching people the methods that I was implementing. Uh, published my first book when I was there as well, uh, which, which became a bestseller. So that was awesome. Uh, and got the recognition. So I won a number of awards and even got recognized by Adobe as one of the top 50 marketers in the world. So all of that looks amazing. I had the second largest office in our building. Uh, the CEO obviously had a bigger office than me. Uh, otherwise, I had something to answer to. Um, and I had, I had, it was so sweet. I had this beautiful view over Wellington Harbour here in New Zealand. Um, I had the Mad Men style cabinet in the corner with all my whiskey and everything. And and I would sit at my desk, look out at that view, look at the whiskey, look at this list of accomplishments and feel incredibly guilty because I hated it. I did not want to be there. Wow. And I felt an incredible strength, an incredible sense of, of guilt and shame over having this job that every marketer wanted, every marketer would cover. I mean, in New Zealand, that's pretty much one of the biggest chief marketing officer roles you can get. It's probably only one bigger than that. Um, and yet I was like, I, I don't want to do this. I, and I couldn't figure out why at first until I realized I was completely unfulfilled. I had this job that didn't, didn't connect with who I am as an individual. And that's when I realized that the things that were important to me in life weren't in that job at all. They were helping people. They were impacting people. They were actually making a difference in people's lives. In particular, entrepreneurs. I have a huge soft spot for entrepreneurship. Um, having gone in and out of entrepreneurship for most of my career, it was really important to me. So got to 
November, December 2019, um, started having a conversation with our CEO who thought I'd gone completely bonkers, like legitimately thought I was having a breakdown. I said to her, I don't, I don't want to work here anymore. I, I need to move on. I want to become a full-time author. And that was my goal, was just to leave there and become a full-time author. And she just went, I, I don't understand. Are, are you aware of how much we pay you? And I said, yes, I'm aware, but it's, it's not about the money. And she goes, well, that doesn't make sense to me. And I went, well, that's partially why I'm going to leave. Um, so I left there in January 2020. So all still pre-COVID. Uh, left there in January, January 2020 to become a full-time author. That lasted about one week uh, when I realized having ADHD and writing one single book full-time <laughs> is not good for your mental health. Trust me on that one. I'd walk around the house going loopy, just going, ah, distraction, distraction. So, so one book became many books. It became launching my podcast, uh, which is the Chasing the Insights podcast. Uh, and then accidentally led me to being a marketing and visibility coach. And by that, I mean that COVID kind of hit the world while I was doing all this. Yeah. And the moment that that happened, every business that I was dealing with, every, every entrepreneur I was talking to all said something along the same lines, which was, look, man, we want to be able to help you, but we can't. We have no revenue coming in the door. We have all the same overheads. We don't even know if we're going to exist in two months time. And when you have a passion for entrepreneurship, that genuinely broke my heart and I remember turning, turning to my wife Leanne she looked at me and said you you can't let this go can you I went nah she goes you're gonna have to help aren't you I went, yeah and she goes go for it so jumped in and and helped them all out and every single one of them said yes to my help which was always awesome uh, and managed to have not a single casualty turn them all around to profitable got them to think different a couple of the businesses pivoted a couple of them just did a different way of delivering their product and their offering to their customer and in other cases, they really didn't even realize what they were sitting on. So by helping them with that, we actually ended up doubling their revenue. So, so that was really exciting for me because I had this strange bubbly feeling on the inside. And I'm going, yeah. what is this? What is this? And I went, oh my goodness, I feel fulfilled. This is incredible. So, so yeah, so that was the, the next kind of phase of my career. And then from that, I've grown that coaching business and that visibility business into helping entrepreneurs to, to get seen, helping them to get on stages, helping them to get on podcasts, helping them to become uh, published authors, uh, which is a big part of what I'm doing at the moment, and just having a whole pile of fun. Like, honestly, I have the best clients in the world, bar none. And I won't hear any argument on that. I've got the best clients, bar none. They're all just the most amazing human beings. And they're all, they're all really impact-driven. So they're all people that really want to make a difference in this world. So... Yeah, so, and that leads me to here now, which of course the pinnacle of my career, talking to you uh, on my the podcast. Pinnacle, man. Yeah, after pinnacle, that, right here, man. After that, we should end it. I mean, after that, <laughs> man, where do I start? <laughs> man, you really covered everything a lot. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of want to backtrack about this because a oh. lot of people, a lot of people, you were bootlegging. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I was bootlegging, all right. <laughs> yeah. You were bootlegging, and I. I, I I did not know that it was even illegal at that age. At age 11, I just thought, hey, I can make money. This is fantastic. So, yeah. I, and I, I, the reason I want, I want to cover this is because a lot of people, they overlook, they think that they, they carry that, that weight with them for the past, whether they went to prison or whatever. Because I've interviewed people that went to prison for a long time. And I'm like, yeah, sure. hey, you were young, you were dumb, you were making money, you yeah. had a passion. The crazy thing about entrepreneurs is though that they, a lot of people that come from that life they're really born to be entrepreneurs. They're just in the wrong field. Yeah, I agree totally. And, and I often say, because one of the things, I mean, there's a mixture of things when I was a kid. Okay, so when you're, when you're a child that grows up in an abusive household, you want to be invisible. You don't want to be seen. And I'm an extroverted person. I'm a highly extroverted person. So for me, 
I felt like I always needed to hide at home because if you stood out, you got a beating. It's as simple as that. So school was my really happy place. That was where I got to be myself, let my guard down a little bit and, and kind of express myself there. But also I had ADHD and well, still do have ADHD. And, and as a result, RSD as well, which is rejection sensitivity dysphoria. So this kind of shaped how I behaved, but it always made me feel like an outsider. And, and a lot of neurodivergent people will tell you this, you, you grow up feeling like you don't fit in. And when you don't fit in at home, because you just constantly feel like you, you're a nuisance, you're, you're just this, this thing that doesn't have any value. And then at school, you're constantly getting told off for talking in class or jumping around the room and, and just, you know, like being overexcited all the time. Um, then you really don't feel like you fit in at all. And I think for a lot of a lot of people that go through the prison system, a lot of people that make mistakes and things, a lot of the time it's because they're trying to fit in in a world that they don't feel like that they do. And, and I think that is genuinely quite sad. And it comes from a lot of environmental stuff and things as well. But what happens at that point is you also learn to survive. And that's yeah. where that entrepreneurial spirit kicks in. And, yeah. and for me, like I said, it was a survival mechanism to make money, to be independent, to be able to know that I can do something with my life. That was really important to me. But also, I, I still remember, Daniel, I, I did, do have to share this because it was a really pivotal moment in my life. Um, I, I was going through a pity party. I, I tried to build a business early on and I failed miserably. This is when I was quite young, like in my uh, early 20s, probably even just 20, I think. And, and I remember um, feeling really sorry for myself. And I was having a, a bit of a pity party with a friend of mine. And I just said to him, oh, it's not fair, man. Like all these other entrepreneurs and all these people, they grew up in these stable families where they, they teach them all these lessons about money and about life and everything. And they're, they're surrounded by people who are starting businesses. And I, I had none of that, none of that at all. I didn't grow up with any of this. I didn't even, have, I didn't even realize you could aspire to be anything, right? And that's not fear. And I remember thinking to myself, this is not fear. Like all of the stuff I had to go through is not fear. And I remember him turning to me. I think he was just really peed off that I kept moaning. Uh, but he turned around and goes, look, you do realize that everything you've gone through in life counts for something. Eh? And I didn't know what he meant. So he explained, he said, look, the good, the bad, the ugly, they have all helped to shape you into who you are now. He said, the bad stuff that you've gone through, I wouldn't wish on anybody. But the fact is they help to shape you into the human you are now. And I happen to think you're an awesome human being. And that's what made me realize that I can either choose to be a victim on these things, or I can choose to accept that even the stuff I don't like has helped to shape me into somebody who understands people, who understands behavior, but it also is highly empathetic towards others. And I always say, if I hadn't have gone through the trouble I went through, if I hadn't have gone through the issues and the abuse and all those kind of things, I wouldn't know what it's like for other people going through that. So therefore I wouldn't know how to be there for them. But now I get to help so many different entrepreneurs that are going through mindset problems and going through all these limiting beliefs and that and going, ha, you think that's a limiting belief? Hold my beer. I'll show you what a limiting belief is. So I get to actually help them from my own experience. And I think that's really, really special. It's, it, it gives you a step up because there's always somebody that's had it worse. No matter how bad you've had it, someone always has had it worse and it kind of gives you perspective like man yeah which, it, which is an it. interesting perspective too daniel because uh, a lot of people look at that and go oh yeah well you know that's them but what they don't realize is everything you go through you feel like 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 for example if you're facing a major obstacle often you look at that obstacle and you think there's no way i can get through that obstacle or get around or get over that obstacle like that is a huge obstacle it's not till you're looking in the rearview mirror where you realize that obstacle wasn't as big as I thought it was. Mm -hmm. But the thing I always take courage from is, is looking at other people that have gone through way worse than me and realize that they probably felt the same way. 
Yep. And at every level, those obstacles probably felt like they were insurmountable. But what happens is we dig deep as human beings. We are way stronger and way more powerful than we actually realize we are. So, so yeah, I look at other people that have gone through worse and go, you know what, if they can go through that, I can go through this. It's a, there's a, there's a rap artist. This is more money, more problems, but the more money you make, the bigger the problems get. And you learn yeah. how to overcome those problems at different levels. So the, there's, I heard a quote from somebody else is that he's like, I want million dollar problems because that's, I'm, I'm in a space to receive them. Oh, I like that. I like that. Yeah. And we, we looked at it from, we just had a friend of ours, uh, this is a while back, we had a couple of friends of ours that had just got married and they had gone through in their, their first month of marriage, they had a massive fight and they were like, oh my goodness, it's the end of the world. I can't believe this has happened. Oh, it's the end of my marriage. And it's all blah, blah, blah. And we're just looking and going, you amateurs. But what we realized is that for them was the worst thing that had ever happened. That one argument, which by the way, in hindsight, you've been married six years, seven years, you'd know that that was just like, if I told you what it was, you'd just be going, oh, that's just nothing. Uh, and we've been married for a lot longer then. And we just looked at it and went, for them, this is the worst thing in the world. What they don't realize is they've got way worse ahead of them. And I don't mean that in a really pessimistic kind of way, but what yeah. I mean is you're going to face challenges and obstacles, but guess what? You get through that as a couple. That's what marriage is. So so it's all relative. Um, yeah, the only times I find it interesting is we had friends of ours who were struggling to conceive a child. Uh, so they're going through IVF. And I remember that the husband was talking to me and he was just a wreck. And I looked at him and I just realized, and I had to say to him, look, man, I don't know what it's like going through what you've been through. Like, seriously, I've just got a blink and Leanne's pregnant. You know, we can be careful with that. Um, so, so I don't know what it's like to not be able to conceive and things, but I can imagine that it would be tearing you apart on the inside. And that's the only time I could really but having not gone through those challenges, not really be able to relate to them, but certainly can relate to pain in that way. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It, it, uh, you, get, you get perspective. You get perspective. Mm. You get older and wiser by your experience. I, I hope so. <laughs> My <laughs> wife would argue the wiser part's questionable. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're not supposed to ask your wives that question. <laughs> yeah, 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 true. <laughs> the, 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 uh They'll think otherwise. <laughs> yes. Oh, definitely. She will give you a laundry list of reasons why that's not true. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that's funny. Um, I really want to talk about your marketing background because that is interesting. Because I had I did podcast earlier today, and she was corporate America too. So I'm like, yep. Pivoting from corporate America to entrepreneurship is like the hardest thing because if you're high up in corporate America, yep. you get all the benefits and. And I've heard so many stories where like, yeah, I've been on entrepreneurship for years, but I just get so much benefit over here for all the other stuff, paid travel, cars, yeah, cars, yeah. whatever it may be, and high pay. And it's just like, and I, I think you mentioned it earlier, it was, a, it was a higher purpose. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I genuinely do believe this. And, and, and don't get me wrong, there are people that are, are genuinely cut out for corporate. I'm just not that person. And, and by that, I mean, I can serve somebody else's vision. That's not a problem. Um, but the challenge I had was at that level, when you're a chief marketing officer in a Fortune 100 company, you, you, you answer the front line. You're nowhere near the front line of where you're helping others. In fact, we literally had to think of staff and team members and people and even our clients as dollar signs and figures. They were literally just numbers to us. And, and I remember crunching numbers, you know, sitting down as a senior leadership team, you know, with all the other chief ex officers, you know, like the chief executive and, and the chief financial officer and all these people sitting there just going, okay, what are we going to do here? And they said, well, 
we need to make some cuts in this area. And they were treating everything as a formula. And I'm looking at this formula going, these are lives. These are people that have stories, that have families, that have children, that have all of these different kinds of things. This doesn't sit okay with me. Um, and I even remember, um, I'm trying to think how much of this I can share without getting in trouble here. <laughs> but after I left, there were some decisions that were made that I didn't agree with. Uh, now, I have no say over those decisions, obviously, but I remember bumping into some of the senior leadership in the airport and uh, I was flying up to Auckland. They were flying up somewhere else. And I caught up with them and I said, and I confronted them on that. And I said, look, what the hell was, was up with that decision? That was, I, I morally questioned, well, I don't agree with what you did there. And they turned around and said, but you weren't there, Vince. You're our moral compass. And I said, well, don't you dare ever put that on me because that absolves you of responsibility of treating people as human beings. And they were being kind of half cheeky, to be honest. They were being kind of cheeky with me and saying that. But also there was an element behind that, which I really didn't like, which was saying, well, if you were there, you could have saved these people. And I'm like, that's not how life works. Treat every human as a human. So, so for me, I definitely don't fit into that culture at all. And, and I realized that more and more there. That's why I was so dissatisfied with that job. And if I look back, <clears throat> I look back over my career, the, the, the companies that I've created have been really stressful, obviously, you know, because you, you're, you know, your, your runway is running out. You've taken, you know, with, with our latest kind of company that we had, we took a million dollars worth of seed funding. And uh, then we raised another million dollar round in there as well. And, and we've got a team and we've got a runway that's running out and we've got to get the clients signed and we've got to build those clients up and we've got to get all this kind of stuff, all, all these moving parts at the same time. That's a lot for people to deal with, right? So there is a high amount of stress for that, but you are in control and you get to treat those people the way that you want to treat them. You get to be authentic to who you are. And then I work in small teams. So I'd work in like not-for-profit sector. Uh, and that gave you a bit more freedom, which was really, really good. But corporate world, uh, I've worked in corporate banks and that was just so stifling. I absolutely hated it. The one thing I did like about Cigna when I joined there was when they hired me, they hired me for my expertise in um, startups and creating companies. So they said to me, we want you to challenge us and challenge our corporate nature and challenge the way that we approach things. Because their solution, you know, as every corporate is, is there's a problem over here. Let's get a whole pile of money and throw it at that problem rather than go, how do we think different? How do we use constraint as our advantage and not our disadvantage, you know? So, so yeah, so just a very different way. So I, I do think though, there are different wired people. There are people that are wired for corporate life um, and that's, they're happy to do that. They don't really hold a vision of their own. They don't really understand what's important to them in that aspect. But for those of us that are, you know, and the term's overused so many times, Daniel, but for those of us that are heart-centered, so those of us that genuinely want to make an impact on this world, there's no way we're going to last in that environment. We have to create something ourselves. We have to birth something into this world that's going to make an impact. Wow, forgot to mute myself. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> That happens every once in a while. So sometimes I'll, I'll meet myself just to kind of find a drink. Oh man, my, my first ever Facebook Live, I got 15 minutes in and realized not a single person could hear me. <laughs> it was the most embarrassing. But it was, going, was, very well. yeah. it was going yeah. very well. The feedback was amazing. Everybody's yeah. like... <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Um, I really want to talk about marketing because I yeah, love I'm, I'm, a, I'm a natural... I'm not a natural born marketer, but I, I like to enjoy marketing because that's, it's a very pivotal part of every business is marketing yep. because you have to bring in new clients and keep the current ones you have. So yeah. what, 
what's let's talk about some marketing tips. What are some marketing tips that some people can easily implement to build up uh, user confidence or to get new customers? Love it. Well, the, the first marketing tip, tip I'm going to give you is going to irritate everyone because they're going to go, oh, no, I don't want to do that. But trust me when I tell you, this is the best tip you're ever going to get in your marketing career and your entrepreneurial career. And that is um, get in front of your customers as early and as much and as frequent as possible. And by that, I mean, um, not even like there's, there's this temptation. Say, for example, you're, you're a coach or you run a, a course or a program. Uh, there's a temptation to go, right, I'm going to create this program. It's going to be the best program in the world. It's going to have all these features and all these benefits. And everyone's going to be really amazed at this. And I'm going to price it really, really well as well. And then you get it out there and realize not a single person is buying it. And the reason for that isn't because your marketing is not working. It's because you've built something that is designed for your perception of what the market wants, not what the actual market wants. And I'll give you a good example of this with, um, with that startup that I was in, Common Ledger. Um, our clients were accountants and accounting firms. And I remember um, purely through an accident, actually, we, I did a presentation to senior leadership at PricewaterhouseCoopers, so PwC, and they were dialing in multiple different countries around the world. So I had to do this live demo of our software, of the thing that we created and how it was going to impact all of their lives. It was going to change their whole business forever, blah, blah, blah. And I got there you know, about 20 minutes early and I'm sitting in the cafe downstairs and I thought, right, I better, better log into our system, just make sure it's all working well. And our system was down. And I'm like, what's going on? So I quickly called my co-founder, who's our, our CTO, our chief, chief technology officer. And he goes, oh, you know, I've just, I've rebooted the server. And I said, oh, okay, cool. How long till it's back up and running? Oh, probably another 45 minutes. I was like, dude, it's on the calendar. I am doing a live demo. And he goes, oh, whoops. And it was that moment of going, I can't talk to you right now. I'm fuming. I don't want to have to postpone this. They've got all these people dialing in from around the world. But I realized I had taken screenshots of every aspect of our product because I was putting together some user documentation. So I thought, right. So for, in 15 minutes, I put together the fastest demo slash PowerPoint presentation you've ever seen in your life. I just took all these screenshots, put them on there. And I went and did this smoke and mirrors demo. I got up there and I said, I'm going to demonstrate how this works. And I would just like click through the slides and they, they thought that it was you know, a, a live piece of software. Even down to, I'm going to put my password and everyone look away now. And I just clicked in the next slide and they're like, oh, cool. Um, but anyway, through that whole presentation, I was talking about the time savings that we're going to give them as a business, thinking this is exactly what every large uh, accounting firm needs. You know, When we take a process that normally takes two hours and boil it down to less than two minutes, that's going to save them a lot of time, a lot of money on a large number of their clients. Okay. But when, but when I was talking with them, one of them turned around and just said to me, question. I said, yeah. And he goes, do you map the chart of accounts? I said, because that's a pain in the ass. And I'm telling you now, if you guys did that, that is, that is the game changer. And we would have gone into building this product with the assumption that it's purely about time saving, purely about piping the data from one place to another and putting it in the right location. But actually having that understanding from him and actually getting in front of these clients and going, uh, you know, like them asking that question, I, I did turn around and I said, it's funny you ask that. I said, because we're literally beta testing that at the moment. And he goes, well, we want in, we want in, we want to do the beta test, we want to do the beta test. I said, I'll have a talk to my team and I'll see if we can squeeze you in. And I walked out of there and I, I rang my co-founder. I said, look, I'm still not talking to you, but you've got one chance to redeem yourself. I'm walking back to the office now because it was in walking distance, walking back to the office now think about how we can map the chart of accounts because we need to do a live beta of this in the next week. And by the time we got back there, he had thought of a solution. And in fact, what we did was another smoke and mirrors. We literally created a upload your file here 
where they upload their chart of accounts. We were already connecting to their clients' chart of accounts. So we just had an intern sit overnight and map these things manually. And they gave us the intel we need to build a product that actually serves their needs. And that was the key takeaway from this was, if we had have assumed what we wanted, we would have built something that added some value and was kind of useful for accounting firms. But by listening to them, by hearing what their actual needs are in their words, that gave us the best tool that we had to grow the company and then to be able to exit you know, with multi-eight figures, as I mentioned. So, so one of the things I say to people is get in front of your customers as much as possible. If you can, ask if you can record the session. And the reason for that is your, your goal is to get in front of them and get them to tell you stories. Tell you about times that they've purchased anything similar to yours. Tell them about the fears that they had, the concerns they had, what they liked about it, what they didn't like, what was the thing that really surprised them. Just really get in their words all that information there because that's your marketing material right there. When they're telling you the words that you can use, that is what you're going to use in all of your marketing. And that, that will accelerate you far beyond most of your, most of your peers. Uh, and I've got one more, I've, I've always got examples of these, but one of these is a very embarrassing example, Daniel, where um, I was doing some work with one of those companies that, that really struggled uh, when COVID hit. Uh-huh. And it was these two little old ladies in Melbourne, Australia. And they'll kill me for calling them little old ladies, but they are, so they will get over it. No, <laughs> so, no they're, they're the loveliest two people, but they, I'd helped them to get their entire business online because their entire business was a bricks and mortar store. Um, we took that, we put it online in a weekend. It was incredible. Um, they had huge success from that. But one of the things I realized is that success is built around momentum and that's not sustainable long-term. We need to be able to grow their search engine optimization, for example. So I went back to these two little old ladies and I said to them, okay, right, here's the problem we've got is I need to make sure that you long-term, you're going to reap the benefits from all of this. So one of the things I notice is that your results on Google are not performing very well. Um, so therefore we need to do what's called an SEO audit. So I thought I was explaining this really well. So an SEO audit, which is a search engine optimization audit. So in that, we'll find out what's going on. And then I'll put together a strategy to help you get higher in the rankings. Yeah. And they both just looked at me completely blank. And one of them kind of leant in over Zoom and she just said, look, love, we don't care about any of that. And my, my heart sunk. I'm like, what? Like, this is one of my areas of expertise. How can you possibly not care about that? And she goes, all we want to do is get found on Google. And that's when I realized all of the terminology all of the words, all of the ways that I was using to explain this were in my head, in my experience as a marketer. They're not marketers, they are your clients. Getting in front of them gave me the exact wording I needed. In fact, I pivoted on the spot and said, well, how about this? You're not getting found on Google. She goes, no, we're not. And I said, so how about I find out why you're not getting found on Google? She's like, yes, that would be great. And I said, and then we'll put in place a plan to get you found on Google. And that was it, sign on the dotted line, take my money. Uh, it was one of those moments where it was so damn obvious but I would never have seen that if I didn't talk to the customers as much as possible. It's um, sometimes you have to break it down in the simplest, simplest way possible that yep. no matter what level they'll get it, they'll understand because they, they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't know your, they don't speak your language. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and to be fair, like to be really clear for those of you that aren't marketers, let me, let me, let me let you in on a little secret here. The only reason we use those terminology as marketers, we use these fancy words and lots of acronyms is because we're really insecure. Like honestly, as marketers, we're worried that people think we're the coloring in club. You know, <laughs> we just go out and make fancy pictures, put an ad out there. Like it used to always grieve me, Daniel, watching Friends, right? And I love Friends when it came out. 
But when Chandler decided he was going to get into marketing and it was all, I've got to come up with a quirky saying for a product, that's marketing. I'm like, that's not even the surface level marketing, you moron. Um, but we're always worried that people won't think that, you know, we're intelligent or won't think we're, you know, we're not lawyers, we're not doctors, any of those kind of things. So we make it complex to try and explain it to people. But in reality, if you're a good marketer, if you're a good entrepreneur, you're going to speak the voice of your customers. And yes, that means you've got to let go of your ego. You've got to let go of your really cool terminology like SEO, for example. And you're just going to have to accept that now it's just getting found on Google. <laughs> That's funny. The uh, It's funny because like most, like every business has like its own language and phrase gallery. Oh, yeah. like, when you're yeah. talking to other marketers or listening for those keywords to make sure you know what you're talking about. But if you're talking to clients, don't do that to your clients because your clients need to need to understand what you're saying. Exactly. You need like this internal translator. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just need like this um, Rosetta Stone in your head where you can just translate all of this geeky rubbish that's in there into plain English that your clients will understand. It makes it so much easier. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely a lot of people miss that one. They miss mm. that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a really good tip. Speaking, speaking their language. Yeah. We, we learned this, um, I, I came up with this concept called coffee line tests. Okay. And this came from one of my early startups, which was, um, which had potential, but was a bit of a failure. And it was a failure because I misread the market at the time. And also I hired a really useless developer. Um, and hopefully he's not listening to this podcast. Um, anyway, but, um, but one of the things I realized, I need to validate this offering. And it was a, a mobile game. It's called Mobile Combat. And it was Android users versus iPhone users versus I think the three people in the world that used Windows Mobile at the time or whatever. But the idea was you would be walking along and your phone would bleep and it would tell you there's iPhone users near you that are registered in the game. So you would battle them in like a top Trump style game and you would take your city, your town for your platform. So it was really exciting. And the potential of this was huge, but I need to validate it. Would people buy micro purchases in game and things like that? Yeah. So I went out there on the street with a clipboard and a pen. And I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ace this. This is going to be easy. I'm just going to walk up to people and ask their advice, ask their opinion. Um, but it turns out when you're in the street where people are walking from point A to point B and you're interrupting them, that with, especially if you've got a clipboard and a pen in hand, they either think you're a crazy street preacher or you're a charity asking for money. And either way, I learned a lot of new swear words and it wasn't helpful for the project at all. So I was feeling sorry for myself. I walked away and I thought, this is not fair. Oh, man, where am I going? I need to find a captive audience, not people that are moving from A to B. So I'm standing in this coffee line, you know, waiting to get order my coffee. And I'm there for about five minutes because it's a massive queue. And I'm thinking, oh, man, where am I going to find a captive audience? This is, this, is, this is challenging. You know, I can finally go up to the counter and I order my coffee. And I had to wait for another five minutes. I'm standing there and they called my name. And just as they called my name, I went, wait a minute. You moron, you've just standing for 10 minutes in a coffee line, right? You know, to order your coffee and then wait for your coffee. You've stood for 10 minutes in a line with a whole pile of other people that are standing there staring at their phones. So we came up with a concept called coffee line test where you just go up, you find a cafe like that that's really busy. You say to the manager there, look, I'll put my credit card on there. And any people that we flag in the line, we'll pay for their coffee if you are okay with that. And we'll just pull them over there at that table and just ask them a few questions. And now, honestly, 9.99 times out of 10, the manager is fine with that. Uh, and then what you do is you get a friend to help you. You get them to pull people out of line and say, hey, look, I'll buy the coffee for you if you just give us a minute of your time just to give us some feedback. And it's a great way to get really good qualitative feedback from random individuals on the street. Now, obviously, if you're in the B2B space, it's not quite as simple because 
you don't know if they're in your industry or not. But if you're B2C, if you're business to consumer, there's a whole pile of consumers standing there that can give you really good, valuable feedback. So, so we would get them to tell us stories. We would get them to read a piece of copy and then explain it back to us and things like that as well. So anything that could challenge our assumptions about what we were trying to build and about our products and services and things. So it is a fantastic way. In fact, I took that even into Cigna. I remember going into our um, chief finance officer's office. I just said to him, well, we just got this qualitative research. We had like, you know, 20 different people giving us really good quality feedback. And you, you saw him roll his eyes and go, oh God, how much does that cost? And I was like, oh, it's, it's about $80. And he's like, what? He was expecting like, you know, $50,000, which is usual for that kind of research. And I'm like, no, no, $80. And explained to him what we had done. He was like, honestly, I was his favorite person after that for about a month. It was crazy. You're, you're creative. You thought outside the box and found a way to connect to your customers. Hmm. A, a lot of people, you got to find out where your customers are. And that's a, your tea. Your tea analogy works out great because like, yeah. if you're for like for us in real estate, you're always trying to find business people. Like where do you find business people? You go to the golf course, you go to the cigar bar, you go to the, you go, you go. The, you go to the yep. bar because that's where people in the midday, they go to waste time, you know? Yeah. Well, if you, if you can find that captive audience, it's beautiful. In fact, we translated it for the B2B space with, um, with Common Ledger, with that accounting company, where what we did was we said, okay, well, if we go to a conference like ZeroCon, which is where Zero and a bunch of their add-ons and things were doing these big demos, we knew there was going to be about 10,000 people there. And we're like, okay, we're going to this conference. We can either pay you know, ten dollars to $20,000 for a booth there and then try and entice people to come over to you. And the reason they're coming over to you is probably just to get a freebie anyway and they don't really want to hear from you. Yeah, or yeah. we can capture them where they're captive. And that was the lunch lines. So I armed my team. We all had an iPad each. We had a survey on the iPad, which was seven questions. Right? Those seven questions were all designed to have a conversation with that person to be able to filter to see if they're a potential customer of ours or not. And every question was designed to be a press release. Because suddenly, if you've got a few hundred people answering all these different surveys, all these different questions, you've got this really good qualitative data, uh, or quantitative data rather, that you can use to put a press release out there. So we would walk with the lunch line. And what we'd do is we'd go up to people and say, hey, do you want to fill out a quick survey and go in the drawer to win a bottle of scotch? And they're accountants. So, of course, they're going to say yes, because you know every, every accountant loves scotch. Uh, and you go down, you have these conversations. And by the time we finish, I walked one lunch line in an hour and a half period. And I had 115 different people sign up for our beta release, 115 different people uh, who had now given us information that was going to be used in our press releases and everything as well. So you can adapt it to any environment. You just got to get creative and think, where are they captive? What value am I adding to them? And how am I doing this in a way that's not just basically not blatantly selling to them at all? Interesting. You got my mind working now because... There's an event space and they want to charge twenty thousand dollars. I'm like, I'm not going. Oh to no, that. hack that man, hack that event space. Like I, I, and and apologies to all my friends that are in the event management business, but um, I never pay for a booth. I never pay for a table or anything. I just go there. I turn up and I own that conference. And you can do the same. It's not that difficult. Surveys are your friend. Surveys. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to do that. Do a quick survey. I'm. I'm gonna do this because. I definitely not paying twenty thousand dollars. And usually, what we do is we'll send a bunch of people over there. But let me listen to this, man. I'm giving it away on the podcast. Oh, <laughs> I don't want to go into it now. You'll, you'll have to censor that. Everyone think you're just swearing nonstop. Um, oh. yeah. But the, the I call those surveys polypurpose surveys because they're a survey that fits multiple different purposes. Um, because, like I said, they are there to gather information on your target market. They are also there to filter them and see if they're a potential 
they're also there as a conversation starter. Like, for example, one of the questions was uh, for us was, what's the biggest challenge you face with all this new software in market? And honestly, that's all you had to say. And you got a lecture for probably the next two minutes of them going, don't get me started. I've got 1,500 customers all on different systems. None of their software talks to each other. Nothing connects to each other at all. It's a real pain in the ass. And everyone keeps telling me my life's so much simpler now, but it's not true, Vince. It's not true. Um, and you're going, well, what would be the solution to that? And you go, I don't know. I just want something that makes it all play nicely together. And I, well, we're literally beta testing something like that now. And they go, you're kidding. I said, no, no, seriously. I want in. And they'll grab you by the scruff and go, I want in because they've immediately gone to that point of pain. And you have now told them that there's a potential solution out there. But by the way, they may not make the cut of that list. So now they're going to fight you to make sure they get on your beta test. And it's a paid beta. So you've suddenly got a whole pile of new clients and you're proving the value of your product to them. It was a no-brainer, man. And then on top of that, you get a whole pile of free press around it as well. I mean, it was win, 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 win. Hmm. I'm going to have to, I'm going I'm to, you got my wheels turning. I'm going to have to implement something because I'm the, I'm the, I'm the person that implements stuff. I'm that guy. There you go, man. There you go. I love this. Oh. Let me know how it goes. Let me go. We have to do a follow-up episode where you give me your rundown of how things went. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it because it's just, and that's what that's why. Like when you said you're you're a marketing exec, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna get some something out of this one for myself because <laughs> yeah. that's the whole point of that's the whole point of the podcast is I'm trying to get yeah, something man. for me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's very selfish of me. Sorry for everybody in the audience. If, if this isn't for you, this is for me. Uh, you, we're just letting them in on the inside secret now. So why do you why do you think I have a podcast? It's just because I get to learn from all these amazing entrepreneurs around the world. I mean, hello. Like if you can see the video versions are half of mine, I'm sitting there listening to them, taking heaps of notes, and then having to remind myself, you're the host, Vince. You're supposed to be listening. You're supposed to be responding. I'm like, whoops. Oh, I can listen to this later on. Uh, yeah, it's purely selfish, but it's so much fun. So surveys um we, we we did ads we did ads over the event like if yeah. you want twenty thousand dollars we might just run two three thousand over your event and then we'll, we'll send people there yeah or not, another hack you can do we used to do this all the time although a lot more people have gotten on to this now but in the early days we were the kind of pioneers of it we would turn up there we would contact every accounting firm that we knew was going to the conference and we'd just say to them hey we're going to have a pre-conference breakfast um it's all on us come and join us and it would cost us, you know, a couple of thousand dollars to get a whole pile of accounting firms together, um, tell them about what we're doing, feed them, give them free drink and everything. Then they'd turn up to the conference and they're all talking about us. So we've already kind of pre-hacked that entire conference, you know? So yeah, it, it was funny though, because one of the other providers there who had paid for a booth kind of heard from a number of people what we were doing and he bumped into me there and he goes, you dick. He goes, we spent $20,000 to get here. And all anyone's talking about is you guys. I went, hey, that's what happens when you're a good marketer, man. He went, oh. Yeah, you got to think outside the box. You got to think outside the box yeah. as a marketer to get to get through to your audience. And, Definitely. Um, one of the biggest reasons why I started a podcast was I, I contacted one of the biggest podcasts in my niche and they wanted $10,000 for a three-month commitment to, add, to put 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 uh, marketing on in their platform through ads and through the blog and stuff like that wow maybe, um, maybe i need to rethink my policy on advertising on my podcast <laughs> yeah. but yeah. That, that, that gives you perspective because like yeah. if if people are paying ten thousand dollars a month just for just for marketing space in that in that in that podcast space yeah. i'm going to build my own 
Nice. I I'm love that. Put, own your own platform. Yeah. I'm going to own my own platform. I'm going to put my own ads. I'm going to put my own, my own product out there because if, if I'm, instead of paying for it, I'd rather, I'd rather own hundred percent of it. Yeah. And then you get the added advantage, of course, of thought leadership. And, and this was a very strategic thing for me. I mean, this is why I write books. This is why I have a podcast is because I know that when people look at that, they, they position you as a thought leader, which doesn't make sense. If you think about it from a superficial perspective, you go, well, why does having a podcast, why does writing a book make you a thought leader? But then when you step back and you realize, particularly for writing a book, uh, when you step back and go, okay, well, this person has taken the time to articulate their thoughts, to put their thoughts and their methodology and their, their, their learnings down in a book. Uh, something that most people won't do in their lifetime, right? 50 to 60,000 words, get yourself in a book and get it published. That must mean that what you've got to say is important enough that you've made that effort. So for a lot of people, just the fact that you're a published author means you're a thought leader. You're, a, you're somebody who has an opinion in this industry. And likewise with podcasts, obviously, and you get the added advantage as well of you get a really good guest on your show and people go, oh, hey, I had John Lee Dumas on my show. And people go, oh, you hang in John Lee Dumas's circles? of course I don't. I don't even know the guy. I just reached out to him one day and said, look, I know you charge to be on people's podcasts. And I know you got this long process, but I don't want to go through all that because I think you need to be in front of my audience. And he went, you know what? Let's do this once. So, so actually getting him on the show helped my brand, helped his brand, all those kind of things as well. You, you never know what, what people will say yes to if you don't ask. And a lot of people, yeah, think, exactly. it's uh, podcasting. It kind of opens the doors because people have a conversation with you that they normally wouldn't have if it's not being recorded. And if you don't have a platform yeah. that you don't take seriously. Yeah. hundred so, percent. Let's kind of talk about the book. Uh, we got a couple of minutes here. Um, yeah, man. Let's talk about your book company uh, book release. If, uh, yeah. How you're doing, make people help become a bestseller, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> well, look, um, I'll give a quick background on it is when I published my first book, um, I, when I, I'm one of those people that I don't want to go. I, I was in conversation with my, the likes of Hay House and, and some of the traditional publishers and I saw the, the challenges that come with those platforms. And, and don't get me wrong, getting published by those kind of companies is amazing, right? But you don't control the narrative necessarily of your book. They have people that are professionals that will tell you how it should go, how it should be structured, et cetera. And you don't have much say on that yourself. Plus, they actually do, um, they actually do things like you know, um, all the marketing and things like that as well. And they're not, they're not me. They're not my marketing. They're not my yeah. style of marketing. So I wanted to control that. So I set up my own publishing company, hired really good uh, proofreaders, editors, designers, et cetera. And they've helped me to publish my books, but they've also helped my clients to publish their books as well. And coming off the back of last year, I realized I helped 20 of my clients to become published authors. And that for me was the highlight of the year. Seeing their face and their big cheesy grin every time they held that book, that was incredible. So I decided 2022 is going to be the year where I double down on that. I'm going to help 200 entrepreneurs to become authors this year and then realize there's no way I can do that with a traditional solo book. So I launched a series of collaboration books. And these are books where you pay, uh, you pay a very little fee, you pay $1,500, you write three to 5,000 words. So it's very accessible for most entrepreneurs, yep. but then we take care of the rest for you. I've got my team will make that a bestseller. My team will publish it. They'll put the formatting together, the editing together, all those kind of things. They'll create the author copy for you. And they'll give you 10 copies of the print book, 10 copies of the ebook as well. So you get all those to, to force your family to have as presents over Christmas, et cetera. Um, and then one month after the publication date, you then get all of the ebook versions of it. You get the PDF, the EPUB, the Mobi, and a strategy document showing you how to use that 
to make real money because you don't make money off the book sales themselves. Nobody does. Unless you're JK Rowling or Tim Ferriss or someone like that, you don't make much money off that. So what we do is we give all of that profits to charity. We give it all to a social good campaign or a not-for-profit and you get the files and you get a strategy document on how to turn that into leads, turn that into revenue, turn that into something that's going to add value to you as a business. So yeah, yeah so we're, we're working on that this year. I've got about three titles left at the moment that I'm, I'm finding the last authors for, for. One of them is called The Heart-Centered Entrepreneur. One of them is called Screw the Hustle. It's an anti-hustling grind uh, uh, book. And then oh. the other one's called Love Your Marketing. It's for marketers to talk about how to brand their business and how to market their business in a way that doesn't feel like they're being a sellout. So yeah, so that's, that's where I'm at with that. Having a heap of fun, tested that over Christmas, just thought, not sure if people are interested in that. Launched with nine books, which I was told off. One of my coaches said, launch with one book, Vince. Fill it. You're trying to find 10 entrepreneurs to fill a book. Why would you launch with nine? And I said, well, because you told me I can't. <laughs> and I don't like being told I can't do something. But I filled five of those books within the first week. And now another one's filled. And now we're finding the last for those. So, so that's kind of where I'm focused. We'll be doing more throughout the year. But I just need now those last little um, authors, co-authors for those books themselves. I, I, I like that. Um... The, the books gives you positioning into other other stuff to actually make oh man yeah it's, it's a positioning tool and a care really whatever pro product or service you're actually selling uh, i'm telling you now man when i put my first book out there i went from charging like two to five thousand dollars for a keynote speech to speak at someone's conference to twenty thousand um, dollars even down to just pre-covid and i was kind of gutted because covid kind of destroyed this one but I had a conference reach out to me from San Francisco. They said, we really want you to fly you over here. You can speak at this, but we can't pay your fee because we can't afford that because we've got a number of different speakers. But yeah. we do have budget set aside to add value to all our attendees. So how about instead of paying you 20 grand, we pay you five grand and we buy 5,000 copies of your book. And that way you can do a book signing there. So I'm like, quick mental calculation, realize I'm actually making more money doing it this way than just paying the fee. And they get me in front of all of their clients and all the attendees for the summit. And I become the, the kind of brand hero from there. So it just opens an incredible amount of doors. Like, honestly, if you want to speak at a summit, they'll take you more seriously if you're an author. You want to get on a podcast, same again. It's nice and simple. No, that's awesome. Uh, where can people find you online? Um, what's oh, man, I make it so hard for people. No, I'm joking. Um, I make it real easy. Just go to chasingtheinsights.com. That's the home of my podcast. It's the home of my books. Uh, it's also where you'll see every link to connect with me on social and do that. Come and join my Facebook group. Come and come and just connect with me on every platform. Unless you're a spammer, then please don't. Um, but it's also where you'll see two links on there. You'll see the link to become an author. Uh, that's in the menu. And that's where you can find out about the books that we're launching at the moment. If you're interested in those, please do register now because they are selling out really, really quickly. Uh, and then you also see a link to a free strategy call. So this is where you can book half an hour with me, no obligation, totally free, where I can give you some clarity and give you some wisdom around your marketing roadmap. Ooh, I might have to get up on that. I know it's probably- <laughs> Go ahead and book it, man. You know you want to. <laughs> I, I, really, I really do because I, I, like, I like insight from different people. And I think yeah. uh, my, my partner talks about, uh, we get advice from many counselors. So yeah, totally. perspective, perspective, perspective is priceless. Yeah. That's my, my other theory is too, every coach has a coach, every marketer has a marketing person they learn from, every salesperson has a salesperson they learn from. That's just how it should be. Uh, one last thing, what is a quote that you resonate with that is yours or somebody else's? Uh, I'll give you one that's mine. It's from my first book, Chasing the Insights. It is, we don't chase the wins, we chase the insights. 
And it's used to reframe your mindset around experimentation and reframe your mindset around when you test something. So it's not that you win or lose. It's not that you succeed or fail. It's that you either get the result that you hypothesize or you learn a huge amount of insights from the result. And with that, we'll end it. That's amazing. That's a good quote. I like that one. We appreciate awesome. you coming on. Thanks for your time. Thanks so much for having me, man. Cheers. The show is sponsored by The List Guys. Do you need more leads in your local or virtual market? One in 10 small businesses don't invest in any kind of marketing. The List Guys have over 35 plus list types to choose from and you can mix and match any list or criteria. We also use the skip trace list and provide up to seven numbers and email addresses. Every list you purchase will be scrubbed against previous purchases. The List Guys are here to save you time. Contact the List Guys today at www.1listguys.com. That's www.1listguys.com.